Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guest who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Hello, welcome to the first episode of the speechtherapypd.com miniseries, Making Sense of Mayo. My name is Maddie Metcalf, and I'm a speech-language pathologist that works in a clinic focusing on the assessment and treatment of orofacial myofunctional disorders in pediatric feeding and swallowing. I'll be your SpeechTherapyPD.com host for this podcast, Making Sense of Mayo. Before we get started, we have a few items to alert you to. This episode is 60 minutes and will be offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. I am the host of this podcast, and I receive an honorarium from SpeechTherapyPD.com, and I do not have any relevant non-financial relationships. Our guest, Linda D'Onofrio, receives compensations for this presentation from Speech Therapy PD, and she doesn't have any relevant non-financial disclosures. Now, without further ado, we welcome our presenter, Linda D'Onofrio. Linda has brought several courses to the SpeechTherapyPD.com, including her 15-hour treating orofacial myofunctional disorders course and her six-hour course, Oral Myofunctional Therapy, Change Instructors, plus several others where she dives into the ins and outs of myofunctional therapy. Linda D'Onofrio has completed her degree in communication disorders at the University of Oregon, her medical externship at the Oregon Health Sciences University Medical Center, and her clinical fellowship at the Oregon VA Medical Center. As an adjunct instructor, she has taught undergraduate courses in oral myofunctional disorders and craniofacial disorders. She has reviewed manuscripts for the Journal of Clinical Pediatric Dentistry, Folia Phoniatrica et Logopedica, in the Journal of Oral Rehabilitation. Her paper, Oral Dysfunction as a Cause of Malocclusion in the Journal Orthodontics and Craniofacial Research was awarded the most downloaded article for the journal in 2019 and 2020. She has lectured on oral physiology at several universities, including Stanford and Tufts. Currently, she is an adjunct instructor at the Universitat Wam. Jaumei. Jaumei in Catalan, Spain, Dental Master's Program and the Vienna School for Interdisciplinary Dentistry. Welcome, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. And I didn't realize what a mouthful that was phonetically. <laughs> I'll change my bio and just make it shorter next time. <laughs> it was great. I'm so sorry. I uh, definitely should have remembered to ask about those um, pronunciations. <laughs> We'll let it dive into this, Linda. So our first question today is, what is orofacial myology? Okay. Orofacial myology, like any other ology, is the study of a topic. So strictly speaking, orofacial myology is the study of the muscles of the face. So it's not really a term I use professionally. So when people ask me what I do... I'm a speech language pathologist. My my specialty is in the diagnosis and treatment of orofacial myofunctional disorders. Mm -hmm. That is so great because I definitely feel like as a newer clinician kind of learning about myofunctional therapy, I 
didn't quite realize that distinction. And so that is really great. (laughs) So what is myofunctional therapy? Okay, well, let me back up and define the disorder because the therapy is what treats it. So I had a unique opportunity in my career to redefine myofunctional disorders in a paper that I got to publish a couple of years back in Orthodontics and Craniofacial Research Journal. So an oral facial myofunctional disorder includes any dysfunction of the lips, the jaw, the tongue, and or the oropharynx that interferes with the normal growth and development and function of other oral structures. And this is often a consequence of a sequence of events, either in utero or after birth, or a lack of intervention at critical periods. And the result is malocclusion and suboptimal facial development. Okay, so that's what an orofacial myofunctional disorder is. So it's a structural functional behavioral disorder. If we're going to define the treatment for that, and I actually got to do this definition at a presentation at ASHA in 2019, and before that at the International Association of Oral Facial Myology in 2018, OMT, oral myofunctional therapy, these are therapeutic exercise-based techniques. And I want to really define that specifically because some people think they are just exercises and that therapy is not a part of the process. So let me say it again. OMT are therapeutic exercise-based techniques that are based on the principles of motor learning and neuroplasticity, things that are well-established in other fields of research. And this is meant to stabilize, tone, strengthen, or just improve the range of motion of the skeletal muscles of the face and neck. And they're used to treat a wide range of orofacial myofunctional disorders. Okay. And so that definition can be found in my research and in my presentations and in other places. And I'm happy to share that later too. Can you kind of go over some of the changes or things that might not happen in early development that could lead to some of these orofacial myofunctional disorders? Okay. So in my paper, I discuss 10 areas of oral dysfunction, and some of them can start in utero. Many of them start after an infant is born, but certainly children can be born with cranial facial disorders, which we know we take classes as a speech therapist. But we can also be born with orofacial dysmorphia, okay? Our jaws might not be aligned at birth. We might be experiencing retrognathia. We might be experiencing a high-angled mandible at birth. Because of many epigenetic experiences, we might be experiencing a high-narrow palate at birth. We might be through prematurity or small gestational age or other impacts. And again, I discuss these in detail in my paper, including maternal obstructive sleep apnea, that there can be changes that can be seen, but are not screened for in this country at birth. But there are many things that can happen after a child is born. Nasal obstruction in preschool is probably the most common thing that we see. The mouth hangs open in order to breathe. That has consequences over time. 
So I think that's so interesting because so many SLPs work in early intervention. They work with that, you know, birth to three population. And so I think it's so important to really, you know, take that step further and look at how is our craniofacial complex functioning, because it is going to have long-term impacts on how we grow and develop. So yeah, I love that we're kind of touching on that. (laughs) One of my first school practicum experiences was an entire kindergarten classroom where no one could breathe through their nose. Mm. And I was the only one extremely worried about that. I spend a lot of clinical time teaching nose blowing. So do you ever make referrals whenever you see that? My reports I make public and I share in my study group. My first referral for, I would say, 90% of my patients are to ear, nose, and throat, with, of course, my report going before the referral. Mm -hmm. And my second referral with my report going ahead is to an orthodontist. Mm -hmm. My third recommendation is my therapy. Ah. So you're really trying to take care of what are these structural things that are standing in the way of me making my progress on my speech and language and swallowing goals. If the child walked in with a cleft palate, wouldn't you do the same? Absolutely. The child walked in with Cruzone syndrome, wouldn't you do the same? Yes, ma'am. So if the tongue cannot reach the hard palate for any reason, wouldn't you do the same? I I sure do. <laughs> so we've kind of gone over, you know, what is an OMD? What are some of those like early signs? And we've touched a little bit on, oh, yes. Early signs can be a little, Mm. let's let's expand on that because parents see things and they show up at a speech therapist door with questions. Mm. Okay. And I joke, all my kids walk in with a speech disorder and they all walk out with a sleep disorder. So parents walk in with concerns and the biggest one is, is this normal? My child is not sleeping. Is this normal? My child is not communicating at what I think is normal. My child is not eating. Is this normal? My child is not. So often our job as a speech pathologist is to do that initial screening in and out of our areas of specialty and make those appropriate referrals. So people come in mostly about sleep and feeding, okay, and communication, But I got to tell you, your communication is a secondary experience. Sleep and feeding are the foundational abilities Mm -hmm. to do that. I haven't eaten breakfast yet, and I'm only on my second cup of coffee. Okay. (laughs) So, but there's messy eating and parents want to know, is that normal? My child never shuts their mouth when they eat. You know, is the, again, normal. My kids had enlarged tonsils for a long time. My pediatrician isn't concerned. Is this normal? We are the ones that are often the first person to say, you know what? Let's let's look at that more deeply. Let's do a screener for articulation and see if a a more in-depth evaluation is required. Let's look at the facial structure and function and see if a more in-depth evaluation is required. Even if a speech therapist doesn't specialize in OMDs, they should be able to see the signs and symptoms. And so should every kindergarten teacher in my mind. Yes. What are some of the, do you have any recommendations for like screeners that you could use for like identifying pediatric sleep disorders or things like that so that SLPs can kind of know, have a tool in their tool bag to know how to screen for these things, know how to ask parents about them? 
I just returned from the, the Vienna School for Interdisciplinary Dentistry, and I did three lectures back to back on teaching the screeners for airway dysfunction. Mm. I did not know that I would need to have those ready today, but I have, no, no, it's okay. I have all those links available. And I've discovered that the IJOM, the International Journal of Oral Facial Myology, actually has collected those. So the Ferrest 6 is the most current, www.ferrest-6.org slash tools. You can find that protocol. They're all publicly available. The OMES, which I'm going to not remember because I didn't know I was going <laughs> to need this data this morning, is still used in research. That, that, that protocol is 40 years old. There's lots of great ones. There's lots of great mm-hmm. screening protocols for orthodontists, for speech therapists, for kindergarten teachers. Okay. <laughs> so just because this might be new information for SLPs, like, oh, wait, I should be asking about sleep. Can you just kind of briefly like bring that relationship to how uh, OMD might be impacting sleep? Um, Like how does our, you know, what SLPs are already looking for when we do an oral mech exam, how could that kind of point them into the idea that this could be impacting sleep? Let's walk through all three, because the one thing we want to make sure is that speech therapists understand how speech is connected to OMDs, Absolutely. how dysphagia is connected to OMDs, and how sleep, because they're Perfect. all three the same, okay? Mm-hmm. How we breathe and swallow cannot be separated from each other, especially when we're unconscious, okay? Because our breathing sets up our swallow, our swallow sets up our breathing, And this is how snoring and other behaviors begin. So when we talk about the research, because one of the papers I'm going to discuss in that segment of our podcast is on the direct connection. I actually got to be a reviewer on that paper. So it was very exciting. And it's one of several that are are connecting the signs and symptoms, because what this paper found and what we should know is all the symptoms of orofacial myofunctional disorder are the clinical markers for obstructive sleep apnea in children and in adults. Mm -hmm. So it's connected to sleep because this is where we sleep. This is where we breathe. This is where we swallow. This is where we communicate. Okay. And dysfunction in this area, be it structural or muscular function or behavioral, can have an impact on the whole system. Mm -hmm. It's just... You know, we've talked about this because this is the nexus of structure, function, and behavior is what OMD and OMT is all about. Right. So for for speech, let's let's talk about, you know, people want to know about the the research on articulation. It's all American SLPs care about. Thank goodness for the other 25 professions that work in the oral facial complex because um, the research on myofunctional therapy has not been led by American speech therapists in any way. It's been led by physical therapists and dentists and hygienists and sleep surgeons and, and um, orthodontic research. So in 20, let me grab this paper really quickly because it's a fantastic one that, and it's, you know, it's nice that it's available in PubMed as well. But the Camacho paper from 
2015, myofunctional therapy to treat obstructive sleep apnea, a systematic review and meta-analysis. So this is something that, you know, at the university level and when people want to say, oh, where's the level one and two studies? What this really found is that myofunctional therapy, the research that has been done, and they looked at uh, nine high-level studies in both adult and child sleep apnea patients, found that this uh, therapy was really beneficial to the extent that 50% of adults and 62% of children showed improvement in sleep. Now, if you have a child or a family member who does not sleep well, the research is also connected to daytime behavioral disorders that, you know, we now understand how sleep is related to ADHD and other things, and we can't go into that in detail today. But articulation is just a symptom of a bigger disorder that's actually catastrophic to our daytime functioning. The exciting paper that has just come out in, I think, April of this year in the Journal of Clinical Pediatric Dentistry, a paper that I got to review mm-hmm. on as a reviewer, which is a, a, a really prestigious uh, request, um, is one out of Vietnam that showed that the sign again validating that the signs and symptoms of OMD and the signs and symptoms of pediatric sleep disorders are the same signs and symptoms and so this paper oral facial dysfunctional screening examinations in children with sleep disorder breathing found that they were looking at the same symptoms over and over again i had the uh, privilege of presenting at ASHA in 2017 on the differential diagnosis of pediatric oral stage dysphagia against uh, pediatric OMDs. And the overlap between the two in etiology, in symptoms, and how they're treated was undeniable. So, um, you know, you know, you and I, I think might have talked about this at the very end of when we first met. I see oral myofunctional therapy being critical in every component of speech therapy mm-hmm. because I see it being critical in every component of swallowing, eating, breathing, and sleeping. And of course, communicating. We might use the muscles in different speeds and different pressures. They are the same muscles. And if they are too weak to chew a carrot, they might not co-articulate in a very coordinated, and efficient way. Um, since there is going to be the video component um online, is that the ASHA poster that you sent me that you're talking about? Oh yes, ma'am. Do you want me to? I have it pulled up on my computer. I we can like talk about it really quick if you would like. I'd love to. I love that poster. It was fabulous. I loved it. I shared it with my coworkers. I was like, look how crazy this is. Like all this overlap, and we all kind of nerded out over it together. After ASHA, I shared that poster along with the second one I did on the who, what, where, when, how, and why of OMD. They've actually been used in conferences for speech therapists around the world because I just shared it, that PDF with everyone, and people have shared it over and over again. It makes me incredibly happy. So, um, yeah, so this presentation, again, this was part of uh, ASHA 2017. 
Um, this, you know, these are the symptoms of OMD at the top. Okay. Rest posture issues, breathing dysfunction, tongue thrust swallow, which is a term that people know, and it's very ancient kind of thing. Tongue tie, oral habits, general dysfunction, hypotonia, which I used to think, you know, you could have isolated hypotonia. You can't. Enlarged soft tissue, sleep disorder, breathing, obstructive sleep apnea, malocclusion, bruxing, and forward head posture, which of course impacts your upper cervical vertebrae. And I have a whole one hour lecture called, you know, the back of your mouth is the top of your spine. So, but these are all the intersections to the areas of speech therapy that we all work on daily. Okay. And I have doctors, when I was practicing on the daily, I have doctors asking me, do you know anyone who can treat temporomandibular pain? Do you know anyone who can do pre and postlingual phrenectomy care? Do you know anyone who specializes in pediatric sleep issues? And for years, it was a heartbreak. I had to say, no, no, a speech therapist will tell you that these things aren't valid and connected. So when I presented this, just so you, if you scan down to the bottom of this poster and indulge me, the folks that are on the, the visual left um, were the professors from all around the world that are colleagues and people that I admire greatly who teach this at an incredibly high level, including a doctorate program in Brazil. And uh, the books at the bottom are textbooks in Spanish and Portuguese, unfortunately. Now, there has been one English language textbook um, and you know it's very expensive. There's not a lot of access to it. And on the right were the current syllabuses of courses that were available when I did this poster. Mm-hmm. And deep in the middle of it was one American speech therapist um, who was teaching in Iowa, which made me very, 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 very happy. So I love this poster and please share it. Yes, absolutely. Are you taking advantage of our new amazing feature, the certificate tracker? The free CE tracker allows you to keep track of all of your CEUs, whether they are earned with us at speechtherapypd.com or through another provider. Simply upload your certificate to your registered account and you're all set. So come join the fastest growing CE provider, speechtherapypd.com. If it's okay, we can also maybe upload this to the resources on the Speech Therapy PD website because I thought this was just really interesting, just tying all the aspects of OMD to how it's directly impacting the areas of what SLPs are treating. Okay, Um, and I want to say one more thing to young clinicians and anyone who's never presented at an international forum like ASHA. This poster got accepted. I had to write all the background research for it. But this was the simplest thing. It was so much fun to present. I just stood there and smiled and because it had colors and stuff and pictures mm-hmm. and it didn't have a lot of text. So don't be intimidated about, you know, submitting a poster because a little can go a long way. I just want to say that uh, that's for people awesome. who've never done it. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so the evidence, you know, one of the things I, I got to do, and I want to cover if we have the time and you can indulge me because I do believe, oh, we do because we're ahead yeah. on evidence. I want to share a little bit of my presentation that I did at IAOM and at ASHA on the evidence base um, in our field. Okay. Because I did, I wanted people to see what existed. Now, I do need to write this up. I It is on me to publish this, and I am making space for that in the next 12 months to 
take care of this. So, but this was a meta-analysis. And when you come to a conference, only 300 people in a room get to see this. And so Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, there's a big uh, spread of information after you present, even at a very prestigious place like ASHA. So um, I have a, a lecture, and again, I can give you the link to it that I presented that was on on all the research that's available. And so I, what I'd like to do, if I can, can I share the screen for a moment? Yeah. Is that an easy thing for us to do? I did. I, I know you weren't what? necessarily prepared to do this today. Okay. So, and I can share my screen. Perfect. Okay. So I'm not going to go through this lecture because this actually is a kind of a long one, but I just want let people to know when they hear that oral motor doesn't work or insoms don't work, or there was a meta-analysis on something, you must look very carefully at how that was conducted. Because mm-hmm. if they only look at six studies that prove that it doesn't work, then what did they really look at and how do they analyze it? And so for the purposes, because people want to know, what what is in the research on oral motor in general and in speech specifically? And so um, I presented on this, and well, just so you know, I always reveal my bias when I present because I <laughs> there's no I don't even pretend, just so you know. Um, but this is again the definition of no MD, okay? This is where the first time I really got to define what treatment was, okay? But I wanted you to see the method of my meta-analysis before validating it or dismissing it, because I went through everything I could publicly get my hands on, because that's what I thought my audience could get a hold of. And I tried to use every conceivable word that might be used internationally, only looking for something that says oral motor and articulation will limit what you find in the international research. And so, uh, because the French don't call it that, and neither do the Germans, okay? And so, I looked under all the terms that are used for myofunctional therapy, including functional physiology, myofascial rehabilitation, which is what it's called in France. And so, I found hundreds of articles, and I tried to limit what I found, you know, to the study, I eliminated a lot of them after I found them because I didn't want it. I didn't care about prevalence. We can talk about that another day. A lot of people assume, assume that oral motor impacts speech. They dismiss it in the first introductory paragraph of their paper. In this country, we don't even believe it's real. So I had to dismiss all those papers too. And I had to dismiss breathing stuff because our field doesn't recognize it currently outside of respiration for things like dysarthria. And I threw out every rat and monkey study that I found, okay? But I found hundreds of journals who present, who, uh, uh, excuse me, publish on this topic, hundreds of them, okay? And I found them in lots of different fields. It's just not ours, okay? So I showed what who is publishing and what. I discussed levels of evidence because I broke the papers down into levels of evidence. So you only want to look at level one papers. You want to dismiss all the fun stuff with, you know, cerebral palsy, kids with cerebral palsy at the bottom. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. But those are in there, too, because the level five studies are those case studies that are super interesting that match what your caseload looks like in real life. Right. But I also separated it by the areas that speech therapists are interested in. Okay. What's I, the, wanna, I did. 
Yeah, oh, sorry. Ahead, just because there, some people might just be listening to this. I just want to highlight that oh, you please. found 35 level one case or level one um, research papers on this. And so that is like 35 after excluding um, some. So I'm sure there was like more level one that was like around this topic anyways. So just sort to kind of, of level one meta little level one papers really do have to meet a certain level, okay. but they might've been about something, another topic that wasn't about gotcha. efficacy. Okay. Because I okay. wanted to show does OMT work. Mm. Okay. But yes, there were two, uh, 23 level two studies, 29 level three, 50 level four and 74 level five. Because if you were, as a clinician, ever going to do a study, what would you probably contribute to this database? Probably level five. five. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you're in a university, what do you have access to? And I want to tell you, it's heartbreaking that in 40 years, American universities haven't bothered to contribute to all of the papers that I found here. It's not entirely true, but it's kind of true. So the 10 areas of application that I discuss at length in this presentation, which again, is available, okay, because I, I got to share it and nobody's going to read it. The areas are articulation, dysphagia, elderly and special populations. I'm doing it in alphabetical order. Non-nutritive sucking and chewing, which is all orthodontists ever cared about. Occlusion and orthodontic retention, which was my working specialty. Oral function and chewing, basically feeding disorders. Post stability, uh, post surgical stability, which became a, a, a subspecialty of mine later. I ended up working for head and neck um, surgeons um, before I stopped seeing patients directly. And of course, obstructive sleep apnea, temporal mandibular disorders, and then tongue and lip ties. So these were the 10 areas I discuss in this meta analysis. And for those who can see, you can see how many papers I attached to each one of them. What's really sad is, you know, frenula research is very, very new. Okay. So we're going to give tongue and lip ties a pass, but in 40, I, I did the last 25 years, but there's 40 years of oral motor research to access. I wanted to keep this meta-analysis completely relevant. So I only went back 25, nine papers on articulation. It, it's hard. Really well, let's look at them really quickly and then we'll fly. Okay. Cause you wanted to see mm -hmm. the evidence base for speech real quick. So I found level three, four, and five papers, found three of each, not a robust space. By the way, I, I joke all the time that I'm a speech therapist who never does speech. To me, these are just symptoms of, of a disordered skull. So, um, you know, to me, this is not something that I'm actually actively looking for anyway. But I summarized the research, okay? I showed what level it was what they did, how many people were in the study and what they found, what was a clinic, a relevant sentence to encapsulate or a relevant phrase to encapsulate the research. So that if you were interested, you knew a little bit about it and you could look more. Okay. I regret that I didn't make this a searchable PDF, but I have, <laughs> maybe when I publish it, I will. Ooh. That'll be fun. That'll be fun. Okay. So, but I went through and I showed that, you know what, they've actually found some significant improvements in speech. Oh, shocker that if you work on the muscles, the muscles work. Okay. So, but you know, the real problem is everything from ASHA counter contradicts what some of this research says. It says there's no evidence base. So there is no evidence base. Okay. But we could produce more and this is how. 
And so for those who can only hear, I actually wrote suggestions, including creating more level four and five studies. Level three is a retrospective study. We're capable of it, especially if we work on it as a team, okay? Maybe in a clinic, you can do a good retrospective study. High-level surveys, heck, that's what the whole INSOM thing started from with some low-level survey, a survey. We can change the world, apparently, with a survey. (laughs) But swallowing is actually a more critical function than speech. So let's look at that. And breathing, by the way, is a more critical function than swallowing, because if you can't do the breathing, you can't swallow. But these are how many papers in 2018 and 2019 I found to this discuss this topic on efficacy. Eight level one papers on dysphagia for OMT. I think feeding clinics should be using that research. Seven level two. Whoop, whoop. Nine level three, 15 level four, 16 level five on feeding and swallowing and myofunctional therapy, okay? Because these are foundational structures. If you chew well, your master development is very different than if you don't chew well. Your jaw structure builds on muscle tension, muscle uh, bone density builds in response to muscle needs. I mean, you know, the physical therapy research and neuroplasticity research have come together. We should be really operating off the fact that we do have skeletal muscles in the face. They respond to exercise. Just this is why we go to gyms, frankly. So then I highlight the research here, okay? Let me know if we're running on time or if we need to wrap up because you know how I get. Yeah, I think we're doing great. Okay, so the first couple you know, of slides here is me just talking about the level one studies in our field, okay? Mm -hmm. But these aren't necessarily done, you know, by people who are, you know, then producing uh, things that other speech therapists are reading. So they're finding dysphagia research is evolving to a more exercise-based practice than just modifying diets, okay? Because if you make the face stronger, you make the tongue pressure better, you can make the swallow more predictable, okay? And that's how you keep from getting pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this the, the overlap is unmistakable. So the research on this, and I have a summary page for swallowing, shows that exercise-based therapy shows tons of positive outcomes in oral stage and oral pharyngeal swallowing because there's skeletal muscles in your oral pharynx too, shock of shocks. And, but, you know, higher level studies had mixed results because they didn't, they weren't able to pull apart the exercises and maybe they didn't clearly define them. And, you know, everybody wants to know which specific exercise solves which specific problem. Imagine walking into the gym and saying, my, my hip hurts. Can you give me one exercise? They would be like, what are you talking about? So, you know, field clinicians, again, we can do better. It's mm-hmm. called practice-based evidence. We can make it. Okay. We can contribute. That's where evidence-based practice comes from, us. Certainly mm-hmm. not coming up from universities. They're just teaching what we do, okay? <laughs> but we need to be working in a multidisciplinary fashion because it validates all of us when we're working together and looking in each other's fields. Absolutely. When we work with an orthodontist or a lactation consultant or a surgeon, our work is validated because we are working and being watched and it's a collective group, okay? This is Fantastic. But hospitals and universities, you could be pumping this stuff out, no problem. 
I want to, yes, please, please. I just have two things that I want to ask about. And some of them are something we touched on briefly, like before we got started. So you mentioned a lot about exercise. So does that mean that SLPs need to be doing this like physical therapy for the mouth? Is that what this exercise based, um, you know, for myofunctional therapy, is that kind of the direction it's going in? It could, and I hope it doesn't, frankly, because I think that's swinging a pendulum way too Mm -hmm. far to the other side. I actually have made jokes that speech therapists don't think exercises matter at all, and dentists think they're the only things that do. (laughs) And it's like, please, y'all, please, it's called therapy in the middle, okay? Um, You know, your your zygomatics hold your mid-face, which holds your lower face, okay? So it's a thing. So the stronger my zygomatics are, the different my jowls will look as I age. Okay. And I'm just, you know, I, I turn, I, I turn old really soon. I turn 50, <laughs> I turn 59 next month. Oh. So uh, it makes a difference in facial tone because the muscles have, don't have a lot of fat in between the muscle and the skin on the face where it does mm-hmm. another part of the body, other parts of the body, but no, but if you ignore the muscles of the face and just, just tell a child to try again, you end up with a kid who's working on S for years. And, and if I say this in all my courses, if you're working on a sound for more than six months, perhaps it's not a sound. Yep. I mean, it's just consider, consider that it's not a sound. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I have a whole six hour course on Vimeo which is part of a five-part Vimeo series, not to plug my own stuff off your website, but still. But I have six hours of showing how precisely if your lips don't fit together, shocker, some sounds are hard to make. Mm -hmm. If your jaws don't fit together, reaching your tongue out of your mandible to your alveolar process might be a little bit bigger reach than for other folks. I mean... Mm. If your palate is high and narrow instead of wide and flat, again, you might have a hard time with a handful of sounds. Put an object in your mouth and you will change the growth structures all around it because functional matrix theory shows just like in hydrocephalus, bones will move to accommodate higher functions like brain swelling. Mm -hmm. Well, your face will completely move where it is to accommodate higher functions like breathing. I love that we just kind of had this full circle moment right there because at the beginning, we really talked about like sending out referrals to ENT, ortho, kind of ruling out those structural things. And so ruling out those structural things are so important for our kiddos with speech sound disorders. And so everything you just said was like, okay, let's look at the alignment of the jaws. Let's look at the width of the palate. Are they going to be able to put their tongue where it needs to go to produce these sounds? Before we ask them, Mm -hmm. I say this in all my courses. So for those who know me, this is a repeat. I cannot count on my fingers and toes how many school speech therapists have called me the day after a child, well, a week after a child got a palate expander installed, SHCH and J magically came in in one day, sounds that they've been working on for years because the molars finally lined up, sha, cha, ja. You can't say chew until you can physically chew. So you, that comes from molar contact, cha-cha-cha-cha-cha. They expand the palate, fix the crossbite, the kid gets the sound. What were you doing 
before then. Telling them to try again. It's in their head. So before a speech therapist becomes a physical therapist for the face, okay, because I am not one of those either, you might want to see, you know, look at the structure, look at the muscle function, and then extrapolate the behavior from that. Mm -hmm. And that makes so much sense too, because nothing works in isolation. We're like a human being. And so like, you know, you have to look a little bit outside of just your standardized articulation assessment and really kind of look at, is the structure appropriate for doing all of these speech sounds? There is a very famous person who said in the middle of an ASHA conference in front of all the ASHA faculty that they never looked inside the mouth when they gave an articulation test. And I couldn't help myself, but I had to stand up and say that might be the problem. Mm. Because if you're not looking, la, 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 what did you miss? Mm -hmm. It sounded great, but. No, it didn't. Well, <laughs> there's a lot wrong with that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I can make a tea in my glottis. I had a stutter, a person who stutters teach me how to make a glottal tea. You can make sounds all over the place. I can make an S out of three different sides of my mouth. Mm -hmm. So it's it's critical that we uh, watch placement, that we yes. watch production, that we watch speed and coordination. Patty cake, patty cake, patty cake, bad doggy, bad doggy, bad doggy. I like it a lot. Later, Peter. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so for those that are just listening, whenever Linda said, la, la, <laughs> yeah, la, Yeah, because that la, sounded la. strange yeah. by itself, didn't it? She was just modeling that you can make these sounds and they can maybe sound acoustically close to your production. And so, but her placement was all wrong. And as we've kind of talked about this whole episode, we, the way that our soft tissues are functioning is going to or direct the growth of our heart structures. And so we want to help set our you know, patients up for success as they move through life beyond just saying their sounds in an intelligible way. Um, and so when we're doing those articulation tests, we just really want to encourage SLPs to watch what they're doing, not just rely on your ears, but really pay attention. Are they using the tongue tip to go up to the alveolar ridge for those T, D, N, and L sounds? Um, you know, do they have like that jaw stability that they need to kind of move through and co-articulate? Um, and so Linda was just kind of demonstrating that. Um, so watch the the webinar or the video portion on speech therapy PD. So you can kind of get that. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things that I, I talk to people about, because we can compensate with our jaw when our mm -hmm. tongue does not have full range of motion, our jaw can compensate. I can say la, 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 using my jaw, or I can open and say, ah, la, 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 with independent, differentiated, mm -hmm. full range of motion. Okay. And so what I tell people is you can play piano with web fingers. Lots of folks do it. You might even be good, but you'll be working harder than people who have normal range of motion. And everyone deserves normal range of motion in their hands, in their hips, in their legs, and in their face. The jaw does not have normal range of motion. If the lips do not have normal range of motion, if the tongue does not have normal range of motion, we can compensate we're human beings and we're intelligent, okay? And it's just a sound. I can make an S through a hole between my two teeth and it'll work until the orthodontist closes my diastema <laughs> and then the lift will start. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of time. That's why it's often a sequence of events that reveals a myofunctional disorder. But for speech therapists, what I want you to do is always be asking why. Why is this kid in speech? Why does he have an articulation disorder? Why can't he close his mouth? Why do I see a tongue thrust swallow? Before telling a child to close their mouth and breathe through their nose, why aren't they doing it already? Could closing their mouth cut off their only air supply? Mm -hmm. Why change the behavior if it's not a behavioral problem? Consider changing the structure if it's a structural problem. And I think that's so interesting too. Um, I love the saying, we should be um, breathing through our mouth as much as we eat through our nose. If they are not breathing through their nose, they're not doing it because they just don't want to. They're not doing no. like they're not making that decision like consciously. There is a reason why. Um, and you know, doctors see their, you know, patients for, you know, 10, 15 minutes, maybe if you're lucky, 30. They're in and out occasionally. You know, all these other providers, a dentist is gonna see them, you know, for the 10 minutes that they're in a chair, the hygienist for the 20 that they're doing the cleaning. But as a speech pathologist, like we see our patients every, every. week for an extended period of time. We get to know yes. them so intimately. So sometimes we're the first line of defense that's going to catch these things because we get to see them. We get to build these relationships. We get to see, oh, well, maybe they're breathing through their nose today because they're or through their mouth because they're a little stuffy. It is allergy. Like my allergies are a little you know, hazy right now, but then like three weeks later, they're still doing it and mine are cleared oh, up fantastic. and the weather's a little bit better. So, you know, we can kind of see these relationships a little bit more clearly sometimes than, you know, other providers, because we do get the ability to have these ongoing relationships. Um, and so I just think it's really awesome that we, like as a speech pathologist, not only can we better their lives by making them more functional in their speech and feeding and language skills, but we can make them more functional human beings by making sure that they have the appropriate structure to thrive. Um, and that's personally why I got into myofunctional therapy, because I wanted to not I wanted to make them better people. I didn't want them to compensate. They're six. Why are they compensating? Yes, six? yes, um, yes, yes. And so, use the word when that's what you're doing. Yeah, if you're teaching. Oh, I love that. Or if you're compensating, say so. Mm hmm. So they don't have the appropriate structure right now. We're teaching a compensation to imp temporarily improve this until X, Y, and Z uh, can fall into place. I love that. I'm so happy right now. <laughs> I know. I am too. Because Okay, I, so when you yeah. were asking like, like about, okay, this moves really nicely into the next piece of this, mm -hmm. okay? Because it's you're describing what you already can see and know. Okay. And so people, I just got an email last night from somebody saying, if I watch your courses, can I then see a patient? And it's like, okay, one, we're speech therapists. We're already seeing the patient. The patient's already there. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're just like now realizing with new eyes, the why. Okay. Oh, they, they can't make an S, but they also can't make any of the other alveolars. Na-ta-da-la without mm -hmm. doing some weird thing with their jaw because and they used to make fun of things like jaw slides and then you realize that the child only eats on one side and there's a $7000 orthodontic case that has yet to be diagnosed on the other side people make fun of it like oh my jaw slides it's like y'all yeah, that's if you saw that in a 40 year old that's a surgical case stop making fun of it maybe teach bilateral chewing so that mm -hmm. the muscles pull the jaw over but 
It's not about learning a handful of exercises, although those are great. It's not about learning what tools you need to stick in the mouth, although those are great. Okay. It's not about what program is needed for temporomandibular pain, although those are great. Okay. It's about looking at your patient with a dynamic assessment model, wondering why they are presenting the way they are today, what you need to do to get them out, you know, graduate them, not dismiss them, not, you know, what can you do and who is your team to help you? Yes. Make your referrals at the beginning of the process. Find mentors for things you don't know. Take courses where you have gaps in your knowledge. Because I meet people who work at very high ends in hospital situations that don't realize how much they know. They just don't know like what it's called or what they're doing. So they may need a particular class. And then there's very young clinicians who simply just got out of school and are like, where, where do I find a, a tools course? And it's like, well, they're over there. Go take one. And I know lots of people because they come to my courses because they've they've taken a lot of strategy courses, but they don't know how to put the process together. And I'm more of a process person. OK, I I am a top down process. We need to understand why we're doing what we're doing yes. um, and where do, where does this evidence come from and where do we take it? So speech therapists, you know, really, you know, if if your education was not robust in cranial facial structure and disorders, build up your your cranial facial base. And I tell people, man, go take a dental course. We did not learn dental occlusion the way we really need to sometimes. Go sit in on, on another class in another department, okay? You know, take a sleep dentistry course because they exist in dental schools now. If you are in a school situation and you never really took a lot of feeding courses because another profession does that in your work environment, you need to understand how that saliva swallow that you're watching impacts all the alveolar and palatal and velar sounds, okay? And again, if you tell a child to do something, but you're doing it because you learned it, but you don't understand the why behind it, you can cause other problems, I work with a lot of kids with behavior problems. I don't put things in people's mouths most of the time. I'm a very naturalistic therapist. That's mm -hmm. why, you know, when you asked about exercises, I kind of demurred. Yeah. But I also work with people that are very rule-based. And if you explain it in a very concrete way, they'll do it the exact same way every time. Mm -hmm. But if you teach it wrong, you have to unteach it. And that's its own thing. So, so the education you need kind of depends on that. But I tell people, if you find a course that you find interesting, get the syllabus, research the instructor. Who is this person? What have they done? Uh, what is their what is their skew? What is their view? Are they a physical therapist who works with temporomandibular pain? Again, go outside your field. Are they a speech therapist who specializes in lingual phrenectomy? Go do that. Okay, just there's a lot of commercial courses and people are making money right now off this because it's very, very hot because sleep disorders are epidemic in our culture. So does an SLP that, you know, they're like, man, this sounds like my caseload. This is making a lot of sense to me. Does a speech pathologist need to go out and spend a large amount of money to do myofunctional therapy? Or is it kind of more like you were saying, like, I can go and I can build my knowledge base 
I need a prototype. Give give me uh, just any, any any general, but I need something to start from here. Um, a school spe- speech therapist. Oh, I guess that's a really good point because there's such a broad, a yeah. broad basis. What if you're in a preschool? Right. What if you're in a nursing home? What mm-hmm. if you're in a NICU? Because I have a lot of IBCLCRNs and a lot of SLPs who are IBCLCs who are very, very interested in this because they're working at the very beginnings of life mm-hmm. with children who may not be thriving. Okay. So who knows? Truly. Sure. Right. If you if you worked in uh, outpatient rehab with folks who were coming out of hospitals, but they were only literally there for 30 days, what you're doing is making assessments and recommendations and shooting them on. You may never actually perform treatment that way. Mm-hmm. OK, if you're in a school, you may be bound by an IEP and you may only be able to see things and make general recommendations. And you may be scared off in your district about doing that whole different podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, what are you what are you doing there? So what's your education need to be like there? So it really is. It's truly vast. Yeah. What people should know is that their understanding of how oral motor impacts articulation, language, cranial facial development, edu- uh, academics, sleep. Mm-hmm needs to be reconsidered. Okay. Just research advances. Okay. New data comes out. Other fields contribute to our base. Okay. Read. I'm happy to share. I make my bibliographies public to all my lectures so that if you never want to read my presentation or come see a course of mine, Here's all my research from it. Just read the Biblio. It's my favorite part of most articles anyway. (laughs) So, you know, see what's happening. See where it's coming from. See how much of it's being produced. Okay. That's really what I want people to know is that in the last 25 years, the amount of research is, is, is huge. And I happen to be out of, you know, out of graduate school, 23 years. So if I wasn't keeping up on other people's research, how would I know this? Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, whenever I first got out of grad school, I would have never imagined that I needed to look at all of these other fields of study to like build my knowledge as a speech pathologist. And so I really love just how much we've hit on today on like that interdisciplinary nature and not being afraid to step outside of just SLP research to kind of build our knowledge base because all that helps our um like our clinical judgment and our clinical skill set which is a part of evidence-based practice um and so i just i really love that we're you know really bringing awareness to that today <laughs> you know i i i wish that i had more invitations to speak from um speech therapy a uh, speech pathology departments mm-hmm. but i have literally traveled the world lecturing to dentists ear, nose, and throat doctors, oral maxillofacial surgeons, orthodontists, pediatric dentists, um, uh, the heads of departments for these dental schools. Uh, They will be referring because I've been lecturing to them. So I hope speech therapy is getting ready. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, I... I'm available if anybody needs me. But, <laughs> but but what I'm telling you is, is the world is about to change in this it, for our field for the better. Yeah. And a lot of frustrations that clinicians have had, like how come this has not worked for a kid? This might be ringing bells for them. 
And so I, I don't want to, like, you know, like I said, there, there's lots of associations and there's more every day. Um, as, as a speech language pathologist, all we need are our C's to diagnose and treat structural, communicative, and feeding and swallowing disorders, how they manifest. If we don't have the under the, the graduate education or the postgraduate training, then perhaps we should not take that patient and we should refer to a colleague who does. I don't specialize in augmentative communication disorders, but I've got a girlfriend down the street. She's awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I can screen for that. I can see that a child might have a need and I might include it in my assessment and then make an appropriate referral, just like I would for anything else. Okay. Right. So we don't have to specialize in it if we don't want to. If we love dyslexia and we love these other things, but we see this. We can start asking why we can start screening. And again, we'll share the screening uh, protocols and we can start building our team. Okay. Because my team includes speech therapists who specialize in other things. Mm -hmm. What I'm finding the more that I kind of, you know, get into my own clinical practice is like, I can't do it on my own. It's not just the speech pathologist that's going to make the difference. It really is that knowledge of being able to say, I need to build this team. This child needs an OT, a PT. They need to go to the orthodontist. They need an additional SLP for this area that I'm not um, as skilled in. And that's okay to refer out if it's not your area. Um, You want to make friends? Refer out, okay? You want to show you're confident in your own clinical skills? Refer out in the areas mm -hmm. that aren't your clinical skills. Absolutely. Uh, Yes, that is so awesome. No, it's, it's the team sometimes already exists. I, uh, in the fifth part of my five-part series on Vimeo is about coordination of care. It's again, six hours on coordination of care. And you mentioned earlier, but I want to reemphasize speech language pathologists are not only sometimes the first provider to see these things. And we are not only the provider who may be seeing them on the weekly, seeing change over time or the lack of it. But we are also, in many cases, the most highly qualified provider to diagnose the disorder, to treat the disorder end to end at any point in a patient's life. Do we need ENT? You bet. Do we need orthodontics? Uh Uh-huh. Do we need pediatric dentistry? Do we need occupational therapy? Do we need sleep medicine, sleep neurology? Of course we do. And and these patients come with their pediatricians and they're this and they're Mm -hmm. that. The team sometimes exists. It's our responsibility to communicate with an effective report, not to the mom, but to the team because we're providers and to build the team that exists, make the team better, inform the team of our successes. Because if our patient does not improve, the team will go, yeah, we knew it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And if our patient improves, they'll say, "Eh, it wasn't them unless we report. Uh, I love a good report. I love a good discharge summary. I write those things for free because they are a joy to write. They're also only about 15 minutes of report writing. (laughs) But, but, you know, I, I, it is a team effort and, and we are a huge expert contributor to the team. We are the ones that show oral dysfunction. We're telling the ENT that what we see and what we'd like to see. We're telling the orthodontist the concerns that this structure is having on breathing, swallowing, chewing, rest postures, and speech. Okay. 
Uh, we talk to the orthodontist about what we'd like to see. Yes, the child is very young, but we are seeing changes to eating habits because of this structure. Can't tell other people what to do, but we can say what we see. Mm-hmm. We can do our due diligence. So if anybody looks in an old report, they'll go, that speech pathologist saw the ankyloglossus, saw the crossbite, saw the recessed jaw. Mm-hmm. How, they they did their job. Yep. So that's what I want is I want SLPs doing a better job, always be getting more, you know, more uh, education. Um, there's never enough. There, there's always more to learn in anatomy <laughs> and in physiology. Absolutely. Um, in and out of our field. Uh, you know, I, I recommend to folks all the time, get a mentor, make a friend, mm-hmm. join a study group. <laughs> I know of a really great study group on Facebook, the orofacial, my, the oral myofunctional study group. It's yes. fabulous. I've learned so much from it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Professionals only. Tell a friend. Yes. It's great. By this really fabulous SLP, Linda D'Onofrio. Um, <laughs> this has been really fun today. Thank you this so much for having so me. Fabulous. You know, I'm so happy that we did this. I think that this was a great way to kick off this, um, you know, myofunctional mini series for speech therapy PD, we really covered, you know, like what is um, oral myofunction? What is myofunctional therapy? Why do we need it? And I love that we really like brought more awareness to the fact that what speech pathologists are treating does have an anatomical and physiological basis. And we cannot ignore that. Um, And so I'm really happy to spread awareness. And I hope that all the SLPs that listen to this are able to take some really good information, get their brain juices flowing, and maybe um, inspire them to do a little bit more research on their own. Um, this was so fabulous, Linda. I appreciate your time so much. You had so much goodness and words of wisdom to share, and we really appreciate it. So Lots with of that- fun today. Thank you for having me. Ah, absolutely. Um, and we will see you next time on the Making Sense of Mayo podcast. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, Linda. It was great chatting with you. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for today's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you are part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to reflect on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.